I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, How's it going, everybody? Hope you're having a brilliant week and you're looking forward to the weekend. It's Gavin Casey with you here, and I'm on my lonesome, actually. Just with the way the roster has shaken out, I have nobody with whom I can talk about the upcoming four URC games involving the provinces. So we'll do our best to swing back around to those on Monday for the 42 subscribers. We've been busy on the podcast front this week, actually, for subscribers. We've been, naturally enough, chatting about the Six Nations, but we also reviewed the opening weekend of Super Rugby with our man down at Sydney, Owen Toulon. We also previewed the whole competition as well a week earlier with Owen. It's well worth checking that out. It's the most wonderful time of the year, really, isn't it? You're getting into that business end of the Six Nations. Super Rugby is just kicking off. The exciting stuff is really beginning as well in the URC and in Europe, so... It's going to be a fun couple of months. It's the 42.e forward slash extra if you want to join us and get additional rugby pods every week. They include immediate post-match pods from either the stands of the Aviva Stadium or uh, in round four's case, Twickenham. And it's all there for you, the 42.e forward slash extra. This week, as I say, we've been beginning a long enough well run up towards that England game at Twickenham. We're going to play you a portion of a conversation we had with... Owen Tulin and Murray Kinsler about the availability again of Gary Ringrose, of Hugo Keenan, and how they may influence Andy Farrell's selection for that massive clash away to England. So here are the two boys on whether we go 6 2, 5 3, how it all shakes out. Like we've definitely seen that development in Gary Ringrose's game, haven't we? Probably over the last 12 to 18 months, his, his ability from centre to be able to, to challenge probably. Second, la- second last and last defender in terms of that, that grubber space. Probably something we haven't seen a lot from, from Robbie Henshaw. Obviously, it's not a, a key strength from, from Bundayaki. And I think Frawley, his obviously first start for Ireland at 15, I think he's the profile of player that can potentially, we talk about playmaking in terms of stepping up at first receiver from a, a catch-pass perspective, but as critical from a kicking perspective that you have that second pair of hands that can ID those kick spaces. Obviously, Crowley's pretty ball-focused on, on what's in front, but I think probably the, the Aki-Henshaw partnership probably does enable Ireland to have that attacking kicking game close to the rook, but I think Frawley or potentially even Keenan, if he can start to evolve that area of his game and with Ringrose to come back, I think there's personal there that can possibly deliver that for Ireland. And you make such a good point that the defensive that defenses that have, I, I, you know, Ireland haven't really struggled massively against any defense. They've scored tries consistently, but defenses who've made life difficult for them are, are the really connected ones. New Zealand in a very different way. New Zealand were happy to sit off and let Ireland play out to the fifteen meter challenge, but they stayed really connected and they didn't allow themselves to be baited into making rash decisions. Someone getting out of the line, and then Ireland's elite decision making comes to to the fore and Wales in fairness stayed very connected while probably bringing more certainly bringing more line speed as well and that's the challenge for England who have been oppressive at times and I've I've been impressed with long patches of their defensive work but they've had a a habit almost of getting really disconnected at times and the the frustration is that a lot of the tries they've conceded have been right through that the guts of them through the middle of their their defence and that's part and parcel of taking those risks and going after the ball, but but Ireland are better than anyone at at taking those spaces and 
trusting their decision making even under the most in- intense pressure but I, I like you know I think Jones will be encouraged by a fair portion of what England have done even you look at the stats they've conceded eight tries which is just above average they've actually conceded fewer than average in, in terms of line breaks 14 line breaks in their three games and though they have the lowest tackle completion rate, which you'd expect when they're coming forward at such speed, they've forced the most turnovers from from anyone in terms of their turnovers won in defence. And that's the big metric that he's after, is is getting the ball back. And and you saw it in the Scotland game a lot, though Scotland had success and scored a pretty... Like that that first phase try that Duane van der Merwe finished from a scrum is... You don't really see it a lot because it's it's just poor D. Um... But they actually got successes as well. So I, I can't wait. With another two weeks or kind of two training camps for Jones to, to get more familiarity into those English players, it's going to be a really fun, fun battle. Well, Gary Wingrose looks like he's going to be available for that game. The same with Hugo Keenan, Owen. And that leaves a real dilemma for Andy Farrell. You know Farrell would love to rock up the Twickenham with a 6-2. You just know it. Like, I would say the, the profile of this English team isn't especially powerful outside of Ben Earl, who Stuart Barnes has been calling to start at 12 <laughs> in his column recently. It's probably not the most... Look, at Twickenham, with their tails up, like, of course, they're going to be physical. Any team will be. I just mean, like, in terms of their athletic profile, you could imagine this England team being bullied. And there's a chance with Ireland's bench that we saw at the weekend that you could possibly do that. But with Ringrose back, and if Ringrose is in your 23, it probably prevents you from going 6-2, Frawley could be the option there uh, as like a as bench cover if Keenan comes in. They're just basically a lot of moving parts to selection over the next 10 days or so. Uh, like, which way do you think they should go? Because you mentioned how Ringrose's attacking kicking game is a dimension that maybe Ireland lack without Henshaw. Obviously, Henshaw is in very good form and brings a couple of other qualities, uh, including a bit of physical might of his own. But like, if you were making this selection, do you stick with Henshaw based on his form? Do you bring Ringrose straight back into... The starting 15, do you bring Ringrose onto a bench and go 5-3? Very difficult. It would it would be hard on Ringrose to leave him out given his form for Ireland over the last 12 to 18 months probably become one of those key key leaders um, for the team. But yeah, if you bring him in, you're probably looking at, you could say 6-2, but then you're dropping Henshaw, Henshaw out of the 23 altogether to keep potentially Frawley as that that obviously utility back on the bench so but you think just how well the forwards did at a pretty key time in the game like it's still game on at whatever it is 52 53 minutes when when Ireland started to roll uh, the big forwards off the bench and, and the impact that they had that you would think that will allure uh, Farrell to stick with the 6-2 which probably probably makes it difficult for for Ringrose to to make it onto the bench so yeah, it's a massive, massive call. I, I think Farrell hasn't been scared to make big calls previously, um, but you would think it would be a straight swap for Henshaw and, and Henshaw to drop out of the 23. What do you think is going to happen, Mer? I haven't got a clue. I think I'd go 5-3. I'm becoming increasingly risk-shy as I get older. I think I'd like to have another 10 in the match day 23. And like, if it's Ryan Baird who missed out that, it would be desperately unlucky for him but the mm. the same applies if it's Gary Ringrose who misses out or even Frawley who misses out I, I think a 5-3 bench there's more than enough punch for, from those forwards coming on and I think you're you're covering all your bases well in 
in terms of the back line, uh, that would probably be Gary Ringrose as the 23 and Frawley as the 22 and Murray at 21. If you go 6-2 without Frawley, you're looking at maybe, what, Connor Murray covering out half, which, as we know with Ireland, they're very adaptable and flexible. And I'm sure loads of different players have got, you know, training minutes in, in all sorts of different positions, but that would feel like almost a step too far. If you had Jack Crowley go down early in the game with an injury, I, I think it would be a, a bigger ask. And I yeah, I think you still get a massive punch from a 5-3. I don't think it negates that at all. Like Conan's been doing that. James Ryan's been doing that. Conan can cover the three. I mean, you can shift your back row regardless of who got injured there if it was early in the game. And James Ryan can take over and call a line out if you need that. And you saw his defensive impact along with all the others the the in the in the Wales game. So that's the way I'd be leaning. But any other format of it wouldn't be a shock either. You know, if Ringrose comes straight back in, that was his jersey. He was playing amazing rugby with Ireland, has been a key guy for some of the reasons that, that Owen has mentioned. So um a number of ways to do it. All of them would have their their, I suppose, virtues, but a 5-3, in my mind, makes most sense. That was Owen Toolan, former Ireland performance analyst, also a former coach of the Melbourne Rebels in Australia and of the Kintetsu Liners in Japan. And Murray Kinsella, um, not a coach, but uh, a damn fine journalist. And Murray and I had a chat as well on Monday's pod about France. It was the morning after Antoine Dupont had began to run amok at the Vancouver Sevens, really... Uh, establishing his dominance over his fellow sevens players now at that competition and just taking the pace really from what we saw and we were kind of discussing how he seems so ebullient compared to a lot of his French 15s teammates now whose form has been nosediving throughout this championship and how in another world France would probably be 0-3 in this competition like it hasn't been a million miles off so we were just trying to get to the bottom of what is going on with France and also it kind of led to a it led to a question about Ireland as well and and the little bit of juxtaposition between these two teams who were hell-bent on winning a World Cup and who had their tournaments ended early and how it's shaken out very differently for them so here's Murray on Les Bleus. I do think France are a, a much worse team this year than just a few months ago really at the World Cup they look to me like a team that's lacking purpose and there's so much talk in rugby about culture now and unifying the players in that sense. And a lot of it sounds so waffly and bullshitty, but it actually is important to have that mission and that energy that you're moving towards something. And I think France have lost that. They had the Home World Cup. Everything stayed cohesive and connected and organized for four years and everything was put on a platter for this team. And so much of what those players, those individuals did was just all about winning a Home World Cup and creating history that way. And... The disappointment of that seems to have been really difficult to bounce back from and the energy around the group, even from the reporting in, in the French media, just isn't right at the moment and it's not the happiest camp. And you can even see in Galtier's own body language, a guy who has been a you know a tricky personality in, in the past and difficult to get on with and, and at times has been frustrated in previous roles. He has that energy about him now and I think that pervades everything that they're doing on the pitch, which a lot of it, you're right, isn't good. Even strategically, they seem to be in a bit of a muddle at, at the moment and, and there's not as clear and I clear a identity, I suppose, to how they're they're playing previously. Was a kick heavy, quite confrontational, straight up, being physically dominant up front. And there were elements of that 
on on Sunday, of course, but other times they're they're trying to fling around. You look at Luku and Jalibert, who are certainly more suited to a a freer style, and you know even Thomas Ramos said that in the in the the media recently that they wanted to have the shackles loosened a little bit. So they're maybe going through a, a strange um, kind of strategic, I suppose, difficulty and and figuring that out and. Yeah, like they, they should have won this game before half time. You know, they started really well. The Olivon try was a really good example of them being direct, just blunt force around the corner, really well timed runs, picking nice angles, tight to the rock, and and smashing their way over. Direct dominant. You look, what is it, the 12th minute, they have a chance to actually go clear and almost finish finish the game when they break out of their their own half. Tuilagi pulls a lovely sweep pass out to, to Jalibert. He probably passes too early. And Italy scramble really well there, but then Dante swings a pass from right to left, people remember, and it's just in front of Melvac, it's a four pass. They scored Aaron's probably game over, and then there's a, a whole host of chances as they dominate the, the possession and territory. Jalibert had a, obviously had a, a nightmare game. He kicks one out in the full uh, cross kick in the 22. He just drops one cold from a Melvaca pass. There's Penno, Penno chipping into, into touch. I mean, they are held up at one stage, really, it was, it was that close. And you just thought if they could get one of those chances converted, then they're, they've got breathing room and, and Italy's belief fades. But that wasn't the case. Italy, to their credit, clung in. And, and then the red card on the stroke halftime reduces France to 14, obviously, and allows Italy to kick three. And they're, they're thrilled to go in at 10-3. And, and then it's, it's France who were kind of wobbly in, in the second half. And, and you could see the, not, not panic, but you could see the unease settling in. In front of a great crowd, it should be said, but that pressure seemed to, to rise on them. So they're in a very difficult spot, France. It's 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 kind of been a quick downfall, a quick reversal of their fortunes, but it doesn't really surprise me either given the the magnitude of that project that they had and it must be really hard to come up with a new one <laughs> to, to to find the energy to to go again with a completely different project, different players. DuPont, as I said, is, is massively missed. Entomac is massively missed because... He was such a big uh, tactical influence and he was so disciplined w- with how he played the game and and Jalibert just isn't that player yet. Maybe he will be. So <clears throat> they're definitely in a tricky spot, but Italy, I thought, were, were well worth a win. But at the same time, it's a fantastic result for them. I want to continue chatting about that game, but just what you say there about France losing that kind of collective mission doesn't it put into context how well Ireland have done in this championship, particularly the coaching group, the likes of Gary Keegan as well behind the scenes to just remain on course, even if the course towards a, the next World Cup, say, is four years long. Like, it, it feels unbearably long and almost abstract as a concept. But, like, I would say some of the praise that has been lavished on Ireland, particularly outside of Ireland, as being, like, this unbelievable team, maybe a little bit OTT because they're playing in it a bad championship this year or at least it looks like a bad championship from this vantage point but probably their greatest achievement so far is that there hasn't been a drop off in those intangible areas where France have nosedived like they still feel as though they're on mission even though it's a, as I say an almost intolerably long term mission from a fan's perspective it's a really strong achievement from Ireland to just so kind of seamlessly roll on and that's been the the sense from outside is that it has just been a continuation. They've they've said that openly. And not that Farrell's written it off, but he's a little bit shrugged his shoulders. You know, we lost the game against New Zealand, but we're we're still on a on a mission to just improve. And and they're very uh, it was really pointed after um 
Farrell was asked about improving for the England game and he kind of just said that, that's a different game it's going to have a life of its own and they're really good at doing that Ireland <laughs> the week to week focusing is unbelievably boring for us to hear but they're very good at just focusing on on what's there now and uh, obviously they have big ambitions but really they're, the scale of their ambition is having a really good performance on the weekend and doing whatever they need to do during the week to 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 get that and they definitely take a lot of joy in the like the process of it we all know it in our work you, you produce your best when you're actually just in the moment in the flow like take writing an article when you're just in that zone not thinking about trying to win the Pulitzer Prize down the line Gav you're, you're just invested in that moment and, and Ireland are really good at doing that so yeah Farrell and and Gary Keegan are, are excellent in that regard maybe they have maybe they have a new mission that we haven't heard about often these things come out after the fact and I'm sure he's done he's he's good at teaming I think without making it obvious that there's a, a grand team behind each each campaign so um, I suppose bravo to Ireland you're right I think it's been a low quality Six Nations there's been a bit of drama here and there but Ireland quite clearly the best team over the opening three rounds by a, by a distance that was Murray Kinsler discussing France and Ireland and as I say it's the 42.e forward slash extra if you want to listen to Rugby Weekly Extra twice a week plus during test windows uh, with those immediate post-match pods it goes up to three times a week you also I should say get access to the entire website so all of our feature analysis interviews other podcasts as well the football family being um, top of my list at the moment are available at the 42.e forward slash extra we'll be back for subscribers on monday as i say have an unbelievable weekend in the meantime hope you really enjoy it and if you're not yet ready to subscribe we will catch you again next friday hopefully with a bit of company for myself until then mind yourselves take it easy Put the boys in the better land. You're always talking about the boys in the better land. The boys in the better land. Driver's got names for 50 double barrels.